Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have given to us your word in which we can see and understand of your rich mercy which you have so freely shown us. We pray as we open your scripture this morning that we would understand more about ourselves Lord, that we would have the pride uh, taken out of us, but also, Lord, we would have humility put within us, that we would have gracious hearts and merciful hearts to others as we understand your mercy which you have shown to us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 23. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We're coming to the end of Psalm 23. In the end, David, as he pens this psalm, paints a picture of us of this gracious host preparing a table for those who are his sheep, his people. We find in this line in verse 6 two assurances that David tells us about in this 23rd psalm. Last week we saw this assurance of goodness. Surely. Goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. And this week, we look at this assurance of this pursuing mercy. John Stevenson explains these two words in Psalm 23 as as they are inseparable. He explains that goodness that shall supply him when he is in want, and mercy that shall forgive him when he sins. Goodness following to be able to provide and mercy following to pardon. Not goodness alone, nor mercy alone, but goodness and mercy in inseparable companionship. And as the gracious host has prepared this table before him and the menu is put before these guests, the gracious host shows provision and pardon. And today we see this great comfort and blessing which is found in this small word, mercy. Now in English, mercy is a five-letter word. Also in Hebrew, this word here translated is a five-letter word, which I think you should know. There's not many words that I say that people in the pew need to understand, but often that when you tie a a description to a word, we have an understanding of what we mean when we say mercy. 
or even last week, good. But here, this word is very important. This word, a Hebrew word called hesed. And when we look today to understand what this word means, hesed, that hesed shall follow you all the days of your life. We're going to try today to be able to explain something and understand something that is hard to explain and almost impossible to truly understand. The epistle of Romans, Paul writes, and he speaks of God's mercy. He explains that the, in chapter 11 of those who did not know God's mercy. And then they were shown God's mercy. And then they had received God's mercy. And at the end of chapter 11, after going and speaking of God's mercy time and time again, he then jumps into this glorious doxology of this reaction of God's mercy shown to those who did not know God's mercy. And he says, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. And in this small word, which is hard to explain and almost impossible to truly understand, we'll begin by trying to explain what this word means and then jump into how uh, to be able to uh, truly understand it. Most English Bibles translate this word mercy. This is not a wrong translation. However, you might say it's an incomplete translation. And the incompleteness of this translation comes in the, word, in the sense that you cannot truly understand this word, said or mercy, in merely just a word. Because it doesn't really capture the essence of the word. Out of all the words in the Bible, I think this is truly the most hard to be able to translate. It's the most difficult because you cannot do it in merely just one word or even a collection of words. It sums up a whole, you might say, the whole story of the Bible. Daniel Bach explains, has said, the NIV translates it, kindness. Cannot be translated with one English word. It is a covenant term, wrapping itself up in all the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, it refers to the acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. There is not one word, English word, that really captures all of those truths. I've heard one preacher try and explain that as said is God's stubborn love towards His people. And often we think of that stubbornness as a negative attribute, but it has its positive attributes to it. This sense of never letting go because of a commitment you have made before. No matter the cost. The greatest example that I think we could have in this life is, is that of a husband and a wife. And one of them falls ill. And the, the other, the spouse who is well, spends their life and their years caring for their loved one. Going above and beyond. And in that, that stubbornness is quite a tremendous virtue. 
Sally Lloyd-Jones, an author of children books, tries to explain what this said is, as said love. And she says it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. You try and then summarize that in one word, it doesn't work. In the ESV, even the common way the ESV translates this, uses two words. Translates it, steadfast love. When we speak of mercy following us, it's not merely just mercy. It's God's covenant promises fulfilled to His people as He pursues us all the days of our life. No one word encapsulates this Hebrew covenantal word. David, the author of this psalm, knows of this covenant faithfulness of God. As David writes about in Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel chapter 22, he speaks of the song which he had, the Lord had delivered him from all of the enemy, all of his enemies, even Saul. And David's final note that he, he hits as he sings this song is a said. Great salvation he brings to his king, he said, and shows steadfast love has said to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And in Psalm 23, he speaks of this has said, this, this mercy following him all the days of his life. And then towards the end of his life, he's able to reflect and say, He has followed me all the days of my life. And even to my children and my children forever. Now we, in some sense, have tried to explain this word. Now let us go deeper to try and search out what is unsearchable. And when I say that this is unsearchable, what I mean is not that it's this impossible task. It's too small to be found, a needle in a haystack. Nor something going to try and find something mystical that doesn't exist. What I mean by is it is unsearchable is that it is too big to be able to explore every single portion in the time and allotment that we have. Even if we were to spend our whole lifetime trying to comprehend this, we would not truly grasp it. A great example of this is the ocean. The ocean covers 71% of the Earth's surface. Yet, as low as 5%, and maybe a maximum of 20% has been explored, charted, mapped by humans. So the remainder of the ocean is unexplored, uncharted unknown to us. However, then to be able to say that we know nothing about the ocean is incorrect. You can search the ocean. We've been able to search 5 to 20% of it. Now, it's easy to be able to place a, geogra- a number on a geographical region of what covers the earth. We can't do that with God. When we speak of God being unsearchable, it's not this impossible task of finding Him in the ocean, per se. But we speak that the ocean is before us. And we cannot, in our lifetime, grasp or understand the infinite, eternal God. But, even a small child in a rock pool, 
or a person with a snorkel can go into the ocean and see splendor and awe. They can be mesmerized by a reef that is growing, a fish that is swimming. Although they cannot explore the vast oceans, they can be mesmerized by a small slither that they do know. So it is with God. That when we try and understand God's said or His mercy, we will be enamored by even the smallest slither of information that we can understand. Even if we come back with a small understanding, that understanding is about a great God. So what can we learn as we begin to try and search what is unsearchable? We see first the Father of mercies. Last week we saw the goodness that follows David, this guest at this honored guest at the table of this gracious host. To be able to go back to find out what true goodness is, you must go back to the origins, the fountainhead of all goodness, which is God. So it is with mercy as well. God is merciful. And mercy comes from God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God the Father is the Father of mercies. Paul writes to Titus saying in Titus chapter 3, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. We looked at this passage briefly before, but when, when God, Moses in, in Exodus chapter 34 says, I want to see your glory. And God says, well, you can't see all my glory. But I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. And Moses goes back into the cleft of the rock, And as God passes by, His goodness passes by, His glory passes by, the Lord speaks and the Lord utters who He is. You want to study about who God is, in Exodus chapter 34 is a great place to be able to study this. The Lord speaks to Moses and, and He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and the transgression and sin, but will not by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Who is God? And he says his goodness is passing by him. And what is the first thing? The attribute which is given to God in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Now we often maybe think of these as synonyms, very similar words that can be interchanged. Louis Burkhoff explains the difference and says, if the grace of God contemplates man as guilty before God, and therefore in need of forgiveness, the mercy of God contemplates him as one who is bearing the consequences of sin who is in a pitiable condition, and who therefore needs divine help. Mercy is the first step. Grace is the extra step. Two sides of the same coin. But mercy is God showing us compassion in the state of our state of misery. 
grace is an unmerited gift which we receive from His mercy. So to put it simply, grace is getting what you don't deserve, divine favor, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve, divine wrath. Say that again. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, divine favor. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, divine wrath. So it's not even that God just gives us grace. He shows us mercy by not giving us what we deserve. You might say mercy is, is, is clearing the debt, the red which we owe, not God getting what we do deserve. And grace is then giving us all the inheritance in our bank account, putting us in the black. Not getting what we don't deserve. Moses records in Deuteronomy 4, verse 31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. And His mercy comes from God. He is the Father of mercy and is shown to us. We deserve to be left, destroyed. But He turns back to His promise. Not to our own deeds. We see why has said is translated mercy. Because this is God how God uses this word in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Undeserved covenant faithfulness. As we understand now this broad concept of mercy, let us dive deeper into this vast ocean and see four truths about His own mercy. So what mercy does God show to us? The Father of mercies shows us a mercy that is never earned. If mercy stems from God and who He is as an attribute of God, then it depends not on us. Paul makes this point several times. He makes it very clear in Romans chapter 9, in verse 15. Speaking of Moses earlier in Deuteronomy, he says of Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Now with compassion on whom I have compassion. Then it depends not on human will, Paul goes on, or excursion, but on God, who has mercy. So you see here that God is the one who shows forth His mercy. It's not based on anything that we do. That is mercy, that we are unlovely, and yet God loves us. We are great sinners who have been shown great mercy. David understands this point very well. He begins Psalm 51 with this great confession about this great confession about his great sin against God as he murdered the wife uh, murdered Uriah and took Uriah's wife Bathsheba to be his own wife. And he begins this psalm And he pleads not with himself, not of anything that he has done. I have served you faithfully, Lord, all these years. 
I've written many psalms. I've trusted in you. I didn't take Saul's life into my own hands. But he turns to God and says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love has said. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. And he comes before God who is great and powerful. He knows it's nothing of his own will or anything he has done. But it's God and his mercy. As Paul puts it, it's not on human will but on God as never earned the second thing is never ending God has this mercy and this mercy is never ending the author of Lamentations famously wrote the steadfast love that has said of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness. Not only God the Father is the Father of mercies, He is the Father of never-ending mercies. This is a modern hymn, writer, hymn written by Keith and Christian Getty says His mercy is more. It begins by said, What love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Your sins, they are many. But His mercy is more. Do you think of yourself as a great sinner? And we need to know that His checkbook has no order form at the end saying we're about to run out. His balance never goes into the red. His mercy has no limits. They never end. The overflowing cup in, in Psalm 23 is set before this table is this, this overflowing of God's mercy shown towards His people. Virgin said, God's mercy is so great that it may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its, His light or make space too narrow then diminish the great mercy of God. In the list of impossible things to do, draining the sea, depriving the light of its sun, making space too small, all of those seem possible compared to having God's mercies run out. Not only are they never ending, but they are new every morning. The sun rises over the horizon. The date on the calendar is a new date. And so too the warmth of God's mercy that shines upon His people. They're not old mercies recycled. It's not an automated letter. They're never ending, but they're always new. For the sheep that follow the Good Shepherd, the, the guests sitting at the host table, we have this great assurance to know that God's mercies will follow us all the days of our life, that every single day, every single day and morning has new mercies. Never earned, never ending, and it's always winning. Always triumphant 
James writes, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy always wins. Two, two options await those before as Christ returns. Mercy and judgment. There are two lines you can walk in. If you have been shown mercy, you will not face judgment. But if you do not have mercy, then you will face judgment. Tozer shows us Christ on the cross and His relationship to mercy. We often get this notion that God is showing mercy because Jesus died. No. Jesus died because God was showing us mercy. It was the mercy of God God that gave us Calvary, not Calvary that gave us mercy. You want to understand what this always triumphant mercy that is shown to us, it is Christ on the cross. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That we can know as the good shepherd, as we follow the good shepherd, as we sit at the gracious host table. That we know that mercy always wins. And the last thing about mercy we will discover this morning is that it is always abounding. Not only is God's mercy never earned, never ending, always new, always winning. But it's always abounding, always great. Peter begins the epistle like Paul in 2 Corinthians, explaining that blessed be the God of our Lord, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, that is kept in heaven for you. Paul would explain as he pens Ephesians that God's abounding riches of mercy when he writes in the second chapter of Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy, because of a great love which He has loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We find this great and and glorious inheritance only because of God's great and glorious mercy shown towards us. This abundant mercy, this great mercy which is shown to us. And David writes in the 23rd Psalm that surely mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. That we have this great assurance the believer of this pursuing goodness and this pursuing mercy. That, they, that that will follow them all the days of their life. So then what are we to do with these assurances? Just quickly. When Moses was confronted with these ideas, he was driven to his knees in worship because of the mercy which the goodness which passed before him and this mercy which was shown to him. 
And worship is the correct response. When you realize what we truly deserve and what God has given to us. Secondly, we should see God as the Father of mercy. And we should run to Him. David, when he sins in 2 Samuel chapter 12, he says that, forgive me. I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against God. And his response is to go towards God and bear, pray. Seek forgiveness. He goes towards God because he knows God is merciful. Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold, to our, hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect as tempted as we are, yet without sin. He said, then, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. The author of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who is merciful. And we go towards him because we know that he is merciful and gracious. Let us draw near to him. Thirdly, then we're called to be as a living sacrifice. Paul in Romans chapter 11 shows those who have not known of God's mercy, who are shown God's mercy, who receive God's mercy. He then jumps into that glorious doxology of the riches and the knowledge of God. He then begins in chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So once we understand this, this mercy, not only we're to worship God, but we are then to live as a living sacrifice. And fourthly and finally, we then are to be merciful. Jesus gives us a very blunt, direct command in Luke chapter 6. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Once we have been shown this rich and lavish mercy towards us, how can then we go and not be merciful to others? Even to our enemies. When David pens Psalm 23, he speaks of these two blessed assurances that we find. For those who call the Lord your shepherd, or those who sit at the guest at the gracious host table, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Let's go to the Lord. O gracious and most merciful Father, 
we give You thanks and praise that You have indeed showed us this never-ending, never-earned, always-winning, always-abounding mercy. We pray, Lord, that we would cling and understand this great assurance that we have, that we find it not in anything that we have done, but is shown to us in Christ coming and bearing our sins on the cross, that even while we were still sinners, that Christ died for the ungodly. We pray that we would see this pursuing mercy in our lives, that we would know it to be true. Through Jesus Christ, we pray in His precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.